0: CHAPTER V OF THE U.P. TRAIL BY ZANE GRAY. THIS LEAPROVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. Neil had not been wrong when he told the engineers that once they had a line surveyed across the gorge and faced the steep slopes of the other side, their troubles would be magnified. They found themselves deeper in the Wyoming hills, a range of mountains that had given General Lodge great difficulty upon former exploring trips, and over which a pass had not yet been discovered. The old St. Vrain and Laramie Trail wound along the base of these slopes and through the valleys. But that trail was not possible for a railroad. A pass must be found. A pass that would give a grade of ninety feet to the mile. These mountains had short slopes, and they were high. It turned out that the line, as already surveyed through ravines and across the gorge, had to be abandoned the line would have to go over the hills to that end the camp was moved east again to the first slopes of the wyoming hills from there the engineers began to climb they reached the base of the mountains where they appeared to be halted for good and all the second line as far as it went overlooked the laramie trail which fact was proof that the old trail finders had as keen eyes as engineers with a large band of hostile sioux watching their movements the engineer corps found it necessary to have the troops close at hand all the time the surveyors climbed the ridges while the soldiers kept them in sight from below day after day this futile search for a pass went on many of the ridges promised well only to end in impassable cliffs or breaks or ascents too steep there were many slopes and they all looked alike it took hard riding and hard climbing the chief and his staff were in despair must their great project fail because of a few miles of steep ascent they would not give up the vicinity of cheyenne pass seemed to offer encouragement camp was made in the valley on a creek from here observations were taken one morning the chief with his subordinates and a scout ascended the creek and then through the pass to the summit again the old brain and laramie trail lay in sight and again the troops rode along it with the engineers above the chief with his men rode on and up farther than usual farther than they ought to have gone unattended once the scout halted and gazed intently across the valley smoke signaled over there he said the engineers looked long but none of them saw any smoke they moved on but the scout called them back. That bunch of redskins has split on us. First thing, we'll run into some of them. It was hawk eye that first sighted Indians. Look, look, he cried in great excitement as he pointed with shaking finger. Down a grassy slope of a ridge, Indians were riding, evidently to head off the engineers, to get between them and the troops. Well, we're in for it now, declared the scout. We can't get back the way we come up the chief gazed coolly at the indians and then at the long ridge sloping away from the summit he had been in tight places before ride was his order let's fight cried neil the band of eight men were well armed and well mounted and if imperative could have held off the sioux for a time but general lodge and the scout headed across a little valley and up a higher ridge from which they expected to sight the troops they rode hard and climbed fast but it took a quarter of an hour to gain the ridge top sure enough the troops were in sight but far away and the sioux were cutting across to get in front it was time for quick judgment the scouts said they could not ride down over the ridge and the chief decided they must follow along it the going got to be hard and rough one by one the men dismounted to lead their horses Neal, who rode a meddlesome bay, could scarcely keep up. Take mine, called Larry King as he turned to Neal. Red, I'll handle this stupid beast right. while. you ain't handling him," interrupted King. Horses is my job, you know. Red took the bridle from Neal, and in one moment the bulky horse recognized a master arm. By heavens, we've got to hurry, called Neal. It did seem that the Indians would head them off. Neal and King labored over the rocky ground as best they could, and by dint of hard effort came up with their party. The Indians were quartering the other ridge, riding as if on level ground. The going grew rougher. Baxter's horse slipped and lamed his right foreleg. Henny's saddle turned, and more valuable time was lost. All the men drew their rifles. At every dip of ground they expected to come to a break that would make a stand inevitable. From one point on the ridge they had a good view of the troops. Signal ordered the chief. They yelled and shot and waved hats and scarfs. No use. The soldiers kept going on at a snail pace far below. On down the ridge was the order. Well, general, that looks bad to me, objected the scout. Red King shoved his lean brown hand between them. There was a flame in his flashing blue glance as it swept the slowly descending ridge. Judging the little land's my job, he said in his cool way. We'll get down here or not at all. Neil was sore, lame, and angry as well. He kept gazing across at the Sioux. Let's stop and fight, he panted. We can whip that bunch. We may have to fight, but not yet, replied the chief. Come on they scrambled on over rocky places up and down steep banks here and there were stretches where it was possible to ride and over these they made better time the indians fell out of sight under the side of the ridge and this fact was disquieting for no one could tell how soon they would show up again or in what quarter this spurred the men to sterner efforts meanwhile the sun was setting and the predicament of the engineers grew more serious a shout from Neale, who held up the rear, warned all that the Indians had scaled the ridge behind them and now were in straightaway pursuit. Thereupon General Lodge ordered his men to face about with rifles ready. This move checked the Sioux. They halted out of range. They're waiting for dark, set in, said the scout. Come on, we'll get away yet, said the chief grimly. They went on, and darkness began to fall about them this increased both the difficulty and the danger on the other hand it enabled them to try and signal the troops with fire one of them would hurry ahead and build a fire while the others held back to check the indians if they appeared and at length their signals were answered by the troops thus encouraged the little band of desperate men plunged on down the slope and just when night set in black, the faithful hour that would have precipitated the Indian attack, the troops met the engineers on the slope. The Indians faded away in the gloom without firing a shot. There was a general rejoicing. Neale, however, complained that he would rather have fought them. Well, I sure was aching for trouble, drawled his faithful ally, King. The flagman, Casey, removed his black pipe to remark all that climb without a fight general lodge's first word to colonel dillon was evidently inspired by casey's remark colonel did you have steep work getting up to us yes indeed straight up out of the valley was the rejoinder but general lodge did not go back to camp by that short cut down the valley he kept along the ridge and it led for miles slowly down to the plain there, in the starlight, he faced his assistants with singular fire and earnestness. Men, we've had a bad scare and a hard jaunt, but we've found our pass over the Wyoming hills. Tomorrow, we'll run a line up that long ridge. We'll name it Sherman Pass, thanks to those red devils. On the following morning, Neale was awakened from a heavy, dreamless sleep by a hard dig in the ribs. Neil. Are you dead? Larry was saying. Wake up and listen to that. Neil heard the clear ringing notes of a bugle call. He rolled out of his blankets. What's up, Red? he cried, reaching for his boots. Well, I reckon them injuns, drawled Red. It was just daylight. They found the camp astir, troopers running for horses, saddles, guns. Red, you get our horses and I'll see what's up cried Neal. The cowboy strode off, hitching at his belt. Neale ran forward into camp. He encountered Lieutenant Leslie, whom he knew well, and who told him a scout had come in with news of a threatened raid. Colonel Dillon had ordered out a detachment of troopers. I'm going, shouted Neale. Where's that scout? Neale soon descried a buckskin-clad figure, and he made toward it, the man evidently a trapper or hunter carried a long brown rifle and he had a powder-horn and bullet pouch slung over his shoulder there was a knife in his belt neale went directly up to the man my name's neale he said can i be of any help he encountered a pair of penetrating gray eyes my name's slingerland replied the other as he offered his hand are you an officer no, I'm a surveyor, but I can ride and shoot. I have a cowboy with me, a Texan. He'll go. What's happened? Well, I ain't sure yet, but I fear the worst. I got wind of some Sioux that was trailin' some prairie schooners up in the hills. I warned the boss, told him to break camp and run. Then I come for the troops. But the troops had changed camp, and I just found them. Reckon we'll be too late was it a caravan inquired neale intensely interested six wagons only a few men two women and one girl girl exclaimed neale yeah i reckon she's about sixteen a pretty girl big soft eyes I offered to take her up behind me on my horse and they all wanted her to come but she wouldn't and i hate to think slingerland did not finish his thought aloud just then Larry rode up, leading Neale's horse. Slingerland eyed the lithe cowboy. "Howdy," drawled Larry. He did not seem curious or eager, and his cool, easy, reckless air was in sharp contrast to Neale's fiery daring. "Red, you got the rifles, I see," said Neale. "Sure, now rustle some biscuits." In a few moments, the troops were mounted and ready. Slingerland led them up the valley at a rapid trot, and soon started to climb. When he reached the top, he worked up for a mile, and then crossing over, went down into another valley. Up and down he led, over ridge after ridge, until a point was reached where the St. Brain and Laramie Trail could be seen in the valley below. From here he led them along the top of the ridge, and just as the sun rose over the hills, he pointed down to a spot where the caravan had been encamped. They descended into this valley. There in the trail were fresh tracks of unshod horses. We ain't fur behind, but I reckon fur enough to be too late, said Slingerland, and he clenched a big fist. On this level trail he led at a gallop, with the troops behind in a clattering roar. They made short work of that valley. Then rougher ground hindered speedy advance presently cinderland sighted something that made him start it proved to be the charred skeleton of a prairie schooner the oxen were nowhere to be seen then he saw that a little beyond blankets and camp utensils littered the trail still farther on the broad wheel tracks sheared off the road where the hurried drivers had missed the way in the dark this was open undulating ground rock strewn and overgrown with brush a ledge of rock, a few scraggly trees, and more black, charred remains of wagons marked the final scene of the massacre. Neil was the first man who dismounted, and Larry King was the second. They had outstripped the more cautious troopers. My God, breathed Larry. Neil gripped his rifle with fierce hands and strode forward between two of the burned wagons naked mutilated bodies bloody and ghastly lay in horrible positions all had been scalped slingerland rode up with the troops and all dismounted cursing and muttering colonel dillon ordered a search for anything to identify the dead there was nothing all had been burned or taken away of the camp implements mostly destroyed there were two shovels left one with a burnt handle these were used by the troopers to dig graves neale had at first been sickened by the ghastly spectacle he walked aside a little way and sat down upon a rock his face was wet with clammy sweat a gnawing rage seemed to affect him in the pit of the stomach this was his first experience with the fiendish work of the savages a whirl of thoughts filled his mind suddenly he fancied he heard a low moan he started violently. Well, I'm hearing things, he muttered soberly. It made him so nervous that he got up and walked back to where the troopers were digging. He saw the body of a woman being lowered into a grave, and the sight reminded him of what Slingerland had said. He saw the scout searching around, and he went over to him. Have you found the girl? He asked. Not yet. I reckon the devil's made off with her. They'd take her. If she happened to be alive, God, I hope she's dead. Well, son, so does Al Slingerland. More searching failed to find the body of the girl. She was given up as lost. I'll find out if she was took captive," said Slingerland. "This Sioux band been friendly with me, man. They're on the war path," rejoined Dillon. "Well, I've traded with them same Sioux when they was on the war path." this massacre sure is awful and the sioux will have to be exterminated but they have their wrongs and injuns is injuns slabs of rock were laid upon the graves then the troopers rode away neale and slingerland and larry king were the last to mount and it was at this moment that neale either remembered the strange low moan or heard it again he reined in his horse I'm going back, he called. What fur?" Slingeland rejoined. Larry King wheeled his mount and trotted back to Neil. Red, I'm not satisfied, said Neil, and told his friend what he thought he had heard. Boy, you're out of your head, exposed to Red. Maybe I am, but I'm going back. Are you coming? Sure, replied Red, with his easy good nature slingerland set his horse and watched while he waited the dust cloud that marked the troops drew farther away neil dismounted threw his bridle and looked searchingly around but larry always more comfortable on horseback than on land kept his saddle suddenly neil felt inexplicably drawn in a certain direction toward a rocky ledge still he heard nothing except the wind and a few scraggly trees all the ground in and around the scene of the massacre had been gone over there was no need to examine it again neil had nothing tangible upon which to base his strange feeling yet absurd or not he refused to admit it was a fancy or emotion some voice had called him he swore it if he did not make sure he would always be haunted so with clear, deliberate eyes, he surveyed the scene. Then he strode for the ledge of rock. Tufts of sage grew close at its base. He advanced among them. The surface of the rock was uneven, and low down a crack showed. At that instant, a slow, sobbing, gasping intake of breath electrified Neil. Red, come here, he yelled in a voice that made the cowboy jump. Neil dropped to his knees and parted the tufts of sage lower down the crack opened up on the ground just inside that crack he saw the gleam of a mass of chestnut hair his first flashing thought was that here was a scalp the red devils did not get then red king was kneeling beside him bending forward it's a girl he ejaculated yes the one slingerland told me about the girl with big eyes replied neil he put a hand softly on her head it was warm her hair felt silky and the touch sent a quiver over him probably she was dying slingerland came riding up well boys what have you found he asked curiously that girl replied neil the reply brought slingerland sliding out of his saddle neil hesitated a moment then reaching into the aperture he got his hands under the girl's arms and carefully drew her out upon the grass she lay face down her hair a tumbled mass her body inert neil's quick eyes searched for blood stains but found none i remember that hair said slingerland turn her over i reckon we'll see then where she's hurt muttered red king evidently neil thought the same for he was plainly afraid to place her on her back. Slingerland, she's not such a little girl, he said irrelevantly. Then he slipped his hands under her arms again. Suddenly he felt something wet and warm and sticky. He pulled a hand out. It was blood-stained. Oh, exclaimed Red. Son, what'd you expect? demanded Slingerland. She got shot and cut, and in her fright she crawled in there come over with her let's see she might live this practical suggestion acted quickly upon neil he turned the girl over so that her head lay upon his knees the face thus exposed was deadly pale set like stone in horror the front of her dress was a bloody mass and her hands were red stabbed in the breast exclaimed king no replied Swindera. She'd been stabbed. She'd have been scalped too. Maybe that blood comes from an arrow, and she might have pulled it out. Neale bent over her with swift scrutiny. No cut or hole in her dress. Boys, there ain't no marks on her. Only that blood," added Swindell hopefully. Neale tore open the front of her blouse and slipped his hand in upon her breast. It felt round, soft, warm under his touch, but quiet. He shook his head. Those moans I heard must have been her last dying breaths, he said. Maybe, but you sure don't look dead, to me, replied King. I've seen dead people. Put your hand on her heart. Neil had been feeling for heart pulsations on her right side. He shifted his hand. Instantly through the soft swell of her breast throbbed a beat. Beat beat. The beatings were regular and not at all faint. Good lord, what a fool I am, he cried. She's alive. Her heart's going. There's not a wound on her. Well, we can't see any, that's sure, replied Slinger. She might have a fatal hurt all the same, suggested King. No, exclaimed that blood's from someone else. Most likely her murdered mother. Red, run for some water. Fetch it in your hat. Slingerland, Right after the troops. Slingerland rose and mounted his horse. Well, I
1: have an idea.
0: Let's take the girl to my cabin. That's not far from here. It's a long ride to the camp. And if she needs a troop doctor, we can fetch her to my place. But the Sioux? Well, she'd be safer with me. The Indians and me are friends all right good but you ride after the troops anyhow and tell dillon about the girl that we're going to your cabin slingerland galloped away after the dust-cloud down the trail neale gazed strangely down at the face of the girl he had rescued her lips barely parted to make again the low moan so that was what had called him no not all there was something more than this feeble cry that had brought him back to search there had been some strong and nameless and inexplicable impulse. Neale believed in his impulses, in those strange ones which came to him at intervals. So far in his life, girls had been rather negative influences. But this girl, or the fact that he had saved her, or both impressions together, struck deep into him. Life would never again be quite the same for Warren Neal. Red King came striding back with a sombrero full of water. Take her scarf and wash that blood off her hands before she comes to and sees it, said Neil. The cowboy was awkward at the task, but infinitely gentle. Poor kid. I'll bet she's alone in the world now. Neil wet his scarf and bathed the girl's face. If she's only fainted, she ought to be reviving now. But I'm afraid Then suddenly her eyes opened. They were large, violet covered with a kind of veil or film, as though sleep had not wholly gone, and they were unseeingly, staringly set with horror, her breast heaved with a sharply drawn breath, her hands groped and felt for something to hold, her body trembled. Suddenly she sat up. She was not weak, her motions were violent. The dazed, horror-stricken eyes roved around, but did not fasten upon anything. All oh, gone crazy, muttered King, pityingly. It did seem so. She put her hands to her ears, as if to shut out a horrible sound, and she screamed. Neil grasped her shoulders, turned her round, and forced her into such a position that her gaze must meet his. You're safe, he cried sharply. The Indians have gone. I'm a white man. It seemed as though his piercing voice stirred her reason. She stared at him. Her face changed. Her lips parted and her hand, shaking like a leaf, covered them, clutched at them. The other hand waved before her as if to brush aside some haunting terror. Neil held that gaze with all his power, dumb, masterful, masculine he repeated what he had said then it became a wonderful and terrible sight to watch her to divine in some little way the dark and awful state of her mind the lines the tenseness the shade the age faded out of her face the deep-set frown smoothed itself out of her brow and it became young neil saw those staring eyes fixed upon his he realized a dull opaque blackness of horror hideous veils let down over the windows of a soul images of hell lying forever on a mind then that film that unseeing cold thing like the shade of sleep or of death passed from her eyes now they suddenly were alive great dark violet gulfs full of shadows dilating changing into exquisite and beautiful lights i'm a white man he said tensely you're saved the indians are gone she understood him she realized the meaning of his words then with a low agonized and broken cry she shut her eyes tight and reached blindly out with both hands she screamed aloud shock claimed her again horror and fear convulsed her and it must have been fear that was uppermost she clutched Neil with fingers of steel in a grip he could not have loosened without breaking her bones red you saw it. she was right in her mind for a moment you saw it, burst out neil sure i saw she's only scared now replied king it must have been hell for her at this juncture Slingland came riding up to them did she come around he inquired curiously gazing at the girl as she clung to neil yes for a moment replied neil well that's good i caught up with Dillon, told him he was mighty glad we he found her. cursed his troopers some said he'd explain your absence and we could send over for anything let's go then said neil he tried to loosen the girl's hold on him but had to give it up taking her in his arms he rose and went toward his horse king had to help him mount with his burden Neil did not imagine he would ever forget that spot. But he took another long look to fix the scene indelibly in his memory, the charred wagons, the graves, the rocks over which the naked, gashed bodies had been flung, the three scraggly trees close together, and the ledge with the dark aperture at the base. He gazed at them all, and then turned his horse to follow Slinger. End of chapter 5